Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to another episode of the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I am Alan Seals, sitting here with Jillian Hockman. Hello, everyone. And uh, we are about to present to you a wonderful episode with none other than John Bolton, who is currently playing Vlad in Anastasia. Is it Vlad or Vlad? It's Vlad. Vlad? Okay, excuse me. We're from Russia. But Mother Russia. <laughs> was that your Russian accent? It was very bad. That was horrible. Thank you. Um, John has been in the industry for over 25 years, and it was he's just a hoot to talk to. He, he came in just upbeat, happy, and and we get into this amazing um, story of like his comedy timing, and he learns pretty much everything I've I've kind of figured out from the fact that he just watches and he dissects comedy. He was talking about like as a kid watching Carol Burnett. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he uh, he was saying he also, his one of his first gigs in New York was working in a theater and he got to watch Madeline Kahn and all these different um, comedy legends and, and got to see kind of the best of the best doing the thing that they do and got to absorb all that. Yeah, and he's gotten himself to a point now um, it's interesting for me, he's gotten himself to a point where because he's his reputation precedes him and he's he talks about this in the episode that he w- he's got some of the roles on his resume now simply because he got a call that was like, if you show up, you've got the role. Mm-hmm. He's very well known, very respected. Um, I've chatted with other people who know him who just adore him. He is a ray of sunshine and so lovely. He has a rather, a rather large ray of sunshine, energetically speaking. <laughs> optimism. Yes, yeah. optimism. So everybody, uh, please enjoy this episode with John Bolton. Here you go. One, two, three. He made his Broadway debut in 1994 in Damn Yankees, and since then has been a part of 13 Broadway shows, including notable titles such as How to Succeed in Business, dot, dot, dot. Titanic, Spamalot, Curtains, A Christmas Story, Dames at Sea, and he's been in several off-Broadway shows, regional tours, readings, and benefits, and is now finishing up, including, I guess, the out-of-town tryouts, an amazing three-year run with Anastasia. John Bolton, thank you for being here talking with me today. Oh, hey. How are you, Alan? Oh, hey. <laughs> sure you don't want your headphones? Oh, We've been... <laughs> Good with my headphones. <laughs> We've been having minutes and minutes of discussions of if you should use headphones. Right. So, no, it's fine. It's totally fine. Um, so, how we always start on said podcast here is uh, the very humble beginnings. Tell me about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Rochester, New York. Um, I had a wonderful childhood and a uh, nice family. Wonderful mom and dad, always very supportive. My dad was a banker. My mom, uh, uh, Mensa-worthy housewife, uh, <laughs> champion of many bridge leagues. And two older brothers, uh, 10 and 12 years older than myself, who love sports. And that was their thing. And they tried so hard to make me like them, too. And I did I did try, and those were some very fun years. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, there was this thing called theater. There was the school play once in a while that would come around once a year. And uh, the uh, local community theaters, which to me was like Broadway. And so I had a little experience with, um, first of all, going to everyone I could, and then I got my toe in the water, then my foot in the water, and all of a sudden I was the king of community theater in Rochester, New York, and I was so excited to do that. 
Uh, and I have a degree in journalism, BA in journalism, from a college in Rochester called Fisher College. And uh, But I wanted something steady, so I decided to audition for summer stock stuff and, um, you know, made friends there. And I swear there was one summer stock job that I think I worked for five years off of that because of the directors I worked with and the choreographers yeah. that kept recommending me and friends kept recommending me. And now here it is about 30 years later, and I'm still here and uh, so lucky to be working. So... What uh, you said, ten and twelve, old, tw- ten and twelve years. You are younger than your than your siblings. That's yes. correct. Um, have you heard that story from your parents? Is were you were you a a lovely? I guess. Uh, uh, I know, what, am I, <laughs> what am I getting at? I was, here? Well, no, I asked. Yeah. I said, "What <laughs> happened? What were you guys doing for ten years, mom and dad?" And uh, it was like, "Were there were was there you know an effort to not have it?" She said, "No, no, no. We tried." And then she would turn to my dad and pat his knee. Didn't we, honey? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and at what point did you know that you wanted to do theater, though? Like, as you said. Oh, gosh. Well, I never, no one ever said, hey, do you want to do this? Like, it was a smallish high school, and uh, no no one from my school had ever done it professionally. It was just sort of you know, a hobby thing that, that you did. And at the time, I wasn't really good enough to really have anyone say that to me. The best that could be said was I had energy. You know, and watching old videos of that, it's like, oh, my God, someone just needed to calm me down. But I was so happy to be on stage. But, you know, my parents, I was lucky enough where um, my dad had yearly trips to New York City, and he would bring me and my mom. Brothers were long gone. They were, you know, long out of the house. So I had the benefits of getting fancy trips to New York and staying at the Waldorf, which I thought everyone lived at the Waldorf in New York City (laughs) since I was a kid. And we saw on my first trip, we saw Annie and the Wiz and uh, just— thrilling for me to see kids my age on stage and in Annie. And then this wonderful adaptation of, you know, everybody's favorite story there, Wizard of Oz. And I convinced my high school music department to do The Wiz my senior year, this mostly white version, not in blackface, I need to say, these days, <laughs> yes. 100% not. Yes. Um, but we were so proud of that. It was a mixed race cast. And um, th- I think that was the first time where I thought, wow, I can... I think I can sing, um, you know, singing that stuff. And uh, so it was little by little. Like, I knew I always loved it, but I never thought I was good enough to do it. And then the more I did, I don't know, the more confidence I got. And I was able to work with some great community theater directors and choreographers in Rochester. Any one of several of them could have come to New York and had a great career. They were just so smart and astute and brilliant in their own ways. And uh, I think I had a great sort of side education while I was studying journalism by doing all these community theater shows at these great companies and learning from all these wonderful people. That's a, that's incredible, though. I, I, I love that you were able to convince your school to do it. And I did. Well, it was between <laughs> Lil Abner and that. Oh, yeah. Well, so the, I was like, well, when there's a choice, let's do The Wiz. You know, <laughs> and it was my senior year, and uh, I, I designed the sets, which meant I got the souvenir program from when I saw it and did scale models that we could afford yes. of that. And I am extremely proud of my scarecrow. So, <laughs> so you're the scarecrow? I guess at your height. How tall are you? I'm 6'2". Six 6'2". Two. Six two. And okay. I did not yeah. grow at all. I was always the shortest one until summer between 10th and 11th grade, or I think I grew about a foot. We went over to England um, for a vacation and traveled around. We, I literally came home a foot taller. Bangers and mash, that'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. Yeah. You either grow out or you grow up, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, the belly over there. Um, do you, of everything that you've done, with your 13 Broadway shows, do you have, do you have a favorite overall? Wow. Uh, well, I think you're counting some 
some as Broadway that, that maybe were close to Broadway. But let me think. Uh, my fate, well, my first Damn Yankees was so much fun because I had worked hard and and it was my first Broadway show. And all of a sudden I was in one and I was a replacement in it. I replaced the, my wonderful friend, Michael Winther, who left the company fairly early. Uh, and um, And there was also sort of sweet justice in that I had been in a show out of town called Paper Moon, um, which was supposed to come to Broadway, starring um, Gregory Harrison, Chandra Wilson, Christine Ebersole, Renee Elise Goldsberry. Mm -hmm. And uh, it would have been the Broadway debuts of myself, Christopher Sieber, and Brooks Ashmanskis. And uh, so we, our marquee was up at the Marquee Theater, where Damn Yankees was. And we were thrilled and got the Sunday Times, six copies each of the Sunday Times. I still have these photos that I cherish of me, Chris and Brooks, with the, uh, the stacks of the New York Times ads with our names in it because we were so thrilled. Um, and then uh, they canceled They canceled it um, two days before we started rehearsals, and that was quite the heartbreaker. And Why? I don't know. that We had not gotten love letters, so to speak, out of town. Uh, the show needed a little work, they thought, and... Um, Turned out it was a fairly weak season. I think we could have come in and done something uh, there. But uh, gosh, the, well, anyway, so Paper Moon is a no-go. Here's the Marquee Theater suddenly available. Damn Yankees have been a success out of town. And we're like, screw you, Damn Yankees, when their marquee went up and ours finally came down. And uh, who knew that I would wind up in that theater anyway, just a few months later. And the, the audition process, I, I guess they didn't come to you and say, oh, you didn't get to go on stage here. But uh -huh. yeah. No, I wish it worked like that. Um, <laughs> no, I, I went to an open call. that uh, My agent had submitted me for a replacement. I remember this is 1994. Uh, and I didn't get picked up. It was Jay Bender casting. He didn't know my work. Um, and uh, so I went to the open call because friends who I'd just done another show with at Paper Mill said, we signed you up, dude. We're going to have lunch. So I borrowed someone's music. Went to go have lunch with my friends, borrowed someone's music, sang my quick little thing for Cynthia Rubia and Rob Marshall and Jack O'Brien. And I had a call back later that same day, I believe. And then I got a phone call the next day saying that I was going to make my Broadway debut. So you did. As a fluke. I, I love, I love, there are so many stories of people walking out of auditions and being like, I didn't care about that or I'm not going to get that. And then it's like changed the trajectory of who they were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I knew it went well. Like, as soon as I was in the room, I, and I thought well, the reason I didn't go initially to the open call or had signed, the reason I hadn't signed myself up at the time was Binder had seen my headshot and resume and said, I don't want to see him. He's not right for us. So I figured, well, what the heck? I'm not, I'm not right for it. And so went in and it was my turn. You know, once in a while you go in and you, you get all the no's out of the way and you go in, you do your best. And once in a while it's your turn. And that day it was my turn. And in, in 95, you did How to Succeed. And it, that's a very hard show to do in, in general. But you played several roles I did. In, in the ensemble. And eventually, then you became the replacement for, of course, our beloved character, Jay Pierpont. I did. And to play that role was just an absolute thrill. And uh, one of the great pride and joys of my life is that I've become close with the Lesser family. Frank Lesser, of course, wrote. Uh, how to Succeed, and so many other wonderful shows. but um, And that was the beginning of that um, friendship, which I cherish forever. But uh, yeah, I had a great time, and I um, joined the company as a cover to Matthew and... Uh, Matthew Broderick. Matthew, yeah. Matthew Broderick, yeah. uh, who's um, just a great guy, still a drinking buddy. And 
And then Matthew went to shoot a film called The Cable Guy, which will tell you how long ago that was. Yes. Uh, and the filming ran late, and uh, John Stamos's contract was up. And, well, who's going to do it? Well, how about Bolton? Because <laughs> I had done it on a few other occasions, and people hadn't thrown things. So I, they let me do it for a while, and including a couple weeks opposite Sarah Jessica Parker, which was fun. Oh, that's fun. And then yeah. when Matthew came back to the show, there's this guy, me, you know, making out with his almost wife on stage. So that was a... A lot of fun. But I had a great time doing that one. And Brooks Ashmanskis was in that as well. Yeah, yeah. And well, so that's a character that that many people have known and have seen so many incarnations of. Like, how, how do you approach making that character like the Bolton version? Are you allowed to take it and tweak it a little bit? Or were you supposed to stay close to what Broderick did? Well, there's a blueprint that that is set in terms, certainly in terms of the blocking and a lot of the pacing that the other actors expect and are used to. And particularly coming in as a replacement, you want to respect the other actors' laughs that they're very protective of, as I am with when it, when it's me that's trying to protect my stuff from a new person in the show or, you know. From, but, um, uh, yeah, you try to fit the blueprint. But you know what? I'm me. I'm not Matthew. I can't go out there and imitate Matthew. They'll just go, well, that sucked. So I've got to be me and honor, you know, what's what the blocking is and the the pace and all that. And uh, I was the right age at the time, and I suppose I had a little fearlessness that's right for the role, and a little little bit of that, you know, that sort of glance when you Swagger. look at the audience. And uh, yeah, I'm very very proud of that. That was a great production, and Des Mackinoff was. I'm so thrilled he trusted me with that for a while because yeah. I was no one knew who the hell I was. So I was thrilled that they. They trusted me with it for for a little while. Well, obviously, you did something right because um, I mean, I talk about Spam a lot. A little bit later, Spam a lot. You were in the original Broadway cast. I was in 05. and standby for all of the male leads. Uh huh. So, real quick, for those who don't know, what is a standby? A standby is a person who is hired specifically to cover usually the over the title characters. It's a fancy term for an understudy for the big leads or sometimes stars of the show. Uh, you don't cover any ensemble roles as a swing does, and you're not in the show every night in a in an ensemble role and and jump up. But a standby is someone hired specifically to cover the stars, and it's oftentimes someone that you you know, like for uh, on one show where I understudied the leading role, I didn't have it listed in the program that I was the cover for it. And then when I went on, it was just like, look, we have a special guest. Mr. John Bolton is going to step in this evening. So um, there's that. But uh, standing by is absolutely terrifying. But you know what? I learned an awful lot from it, and uh, it made me better. And um, I think everyone should do it. Everyone should understudy someone at some point. As a standby, how much notice do you get when you have to go in? Often five seconds. Go on stage. Go talk. Start talking. Um, you know, do you, the, you have to stay off stage, like in your costume, until curtain. There were up? times I had to at uh, at contact. Um, they would get me dressed, ready to switch out at any moment. Because of course, that big dance play was a very, very um, physical, physical role. Um, but I remember my the first time I went on at Spamalot, they were like, "Well, Hank is not well, and uh, so you're." you know, get ready. And so we I wore the stilts for the first time that day, including this whole masky thing. And you're walking on stage in four foot high stilts with a mask on and carrying a big thing and trying to be funny and trying not to fall into the pit. And it was the first time I'd ever worn it. So anyway, it's half hour or a little bit, maybe a few minutes before half hour. And I'm finally, I'd gone over all the Hank Azaria stuff that day. And, uh, 
They come to my room and they go, Hank's here. Chris Sieber's out. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. So huge gear shift. Um, and, uh, you know, I've had to put on the Black Knight costume, which I'd never worn. And for those that know the show, it's the one that where the legs come off and the arm comes off. And it's just a flesh wound and all that stuff, mm-hmm. which has to work. And I'd never worn it, ever. And we had five minutes in it and fi- couldn't get it to work, couldn't find where the little levers were and everything to release the thing. And I'm uh, <laughs> feeling the pressure mounting. Finally, the stage manager, Peter Lawrence, wonderful guy, says, listen, Johnny, we got to open the house. So uh, good luck, pal. <laughs> so <laughs> that was my first time on for that. Absolutely terrifying. But then you get through it because you have the support of the company and fortunately everything worked. And you're just like, wow, I, I did that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the cast, I mean, it was a mega cast of so many, like, people who were known for comedy. You got David Hyde Pierce and Tim Curry, yeah. Chris Sieber, you mentioned, Hank Azaria, Christian Borel, and Sarah Ramirez. Yeah. Going, obviously, you didn't go on for Sarah, but... Um, I could have. Uh, maybe you did. I could sing the hell out of it. Yeah, that's right. Um, as you went on for, did you go on for every different role over time? Of those, I did not go on for David, um, but I did go on frequently for Tim Curry, to so frequently that I felt... I actually own a little piece of that part. I didn't just get to borrow it. I feel like I was on enough as King Arthur uh, that I uh, there's a little piece of that that's actually mine, and I'm very very proud of that. And again, they gave me they gave me within the realm of the show. Fortunately, there's a little bit more wiggle room there because it's this ridiculous thing, and uh, I've. Thought of a few things myself, and uh, they let me do it. And I'm very, were very you, proud of that. Were you in it when Clay Aiken took over? I was not. Oh. I only did the first six months um, because yeah. I had the opportunity to not cover all five leading men, but to play all five leading men in a little off-Broadway show called Five Course Love yes. that uh, we did for a few months at the Minetta Lane. And I'm so glad I did. Um, you know, when I when I said yes to Spamalot, I, of course, was thrilled to be part of that amazing company and to work with, with Casey and Mike Nichols, my God. But, you know, when they had first were first exploring that, I wanted to go in for one of the roles. Well, Mike Nichols only wanted to see like 30 guys total, one day of rehearsal, let's bring in, uh, and then they didn't think I was really right for that at the time. And I said, well, I'm not standing by, so this is over. And then halfway through rehearsals, they were like, they need to stand by. If you come in and shake Mike Nichols' hand, you've got this job. Because the choreographer knew me, the the music director knew me, and they were like, just get Bolton, just bring him in. And that was very flattering. And by now, Spamalot has become, oh my God, it's this star-studded extravaganza. I got to be a part of it. Plus this other show I had done out of town called The Opposite of Sex, which was coming in, didn't come in. So, well, I want to work, and I want to work with Mike Nichols, and... I'd love to work with Eric Idle and all these great fancy guys. So mm-hmm. I did it, and I'm. Uh, it was terrifying, uh, and it was difficult uh, f- from an ego standpoint, um, I've got to say. But also, I'm extremely, extremely proud of it, and it was a great show, and uh, there you go. You eventually got to go on, uh, replace Tim Curry as King Arthur. Well, just he took a yeah. leave of absence, yeah. but I, I they, they said, well, we won't hire you know, again, like how to succeed. They were like, we'll trust you with this for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, when you went on for each different person, you were saying that that every character or every actor uh, is protective of their laughs. Yes. Right? So is, it was did it become sort of like second nature or did you have, were you consciously aware of it every time you went on for a different role that you kind of have to shift your pace and shift your, uh, how you deliver the lines to let, to give the other actors like their, their continue their laughs or whatnot? I was really good at watching the show. And and I'm fascinated by laughs. One of my first jobs in the city when I first moved here was uh, renting the infrared headsets at two comedies. One was musical comedy, Crazy for You, with great comedians in it. Um, the late, great Bruce Adler, the great Harry Groner, um, and John Hilner, um, and then the Sisters Rosenzweig. So for every night for 
probably five, six months, I was watching Crazy For You, watching them get the laughs, find the laughs, lose the laughs, get frustrated by losing laughs, and then find them again or find new laughs. I studied that crap. I watched it every single night, and they were geniuses doing it. Same over at Sisters Rosenzweig with Madeline Kahn, Robert Klein, and Jane Alexander, you know, just watching them hone their laughs and find them and then, like I said, lose them and then get them back. And uh, I really I really got good, uh, particularly during Spamalot, of calibrating why things worked. Um, and if someone lost a laugh, being watching from the front so often, because I loved watching the show, it was a blast to listen to the audience every night. But it was also great to watch, I know why he's losing that laugh. It's because that guy over there is moving. He's moving on that punchline. And, or this guy over here think, is now playing the laugh before the punchline. And so we're sort of ahead of it, so it's not as funny. Watching it, you can learn so many, so many things. Yeah. And watching the act, some of the actors get frustrated by that, it, you don't want to go up to them and go, I'll tell you why you lost that laugh. Because she's moving over there, you know, or whatever. You can't, you can't just do that. But um, unless you've had several, you know, bourbons that have emboldened you in some sort of way. But uh, um, just watching the show so much. Um, I was really able to to sort of calibrate all that. That's 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 fascinating. And I, I we've talked to so many other people, and people have gone on other studies and other swings and whatnot. And you're the only person who has has at least told us about uh, watching from the house. And I I I I respect it. I think you have a talent for finding. You know, where, where you're saying like, oh, you're this guy in the back is, or that lady in the back is pulling focus and stealing the joke, and they're not even knowing it. Have you ever thought about? Uh, have you directed before? Have you, uh, well, while well, I was the like, king of community you, theater in Rochester, yeah. I did a lot of high school musicals. <laughs> so I directed a lot of high school musicals. It actually paid the bills. And a lot of them weren't very good. But you know what? A lot of them were. A few of them were. And I'm really proud of them. And a few of the kids have wound up on Broadway. And I take partial credit for that. Well, it doesn't, at least you haven't told me yet if you have, it had any formal comedy training. Have, are you just, oh, gosh. are you just like, are your parents like as, as, your dad, the funniest banker ever. <laughs> well, in some ways, sure. Um, uh, no, uh, you know, there was this thing in uh, in the late 70s called the Saturday Night Lineup on CBS. And it was the Mary Tyler Moore Show and the Bob Newhart Show and the Carol Burnett Show. And that was my, that was my schooling, really. Not, not even knowing it at the time. Why is this funny? What is the pacing here? Um, who's got the ball in terms of, in, you know what I mean? In terms of who's got the ball, hey, you got to let her have the ball there so she can get that laugh or so that we can get that laugh later. We won't get that laugh if she doesn't have the ball here, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where all that started to to come together was watching that stuff. That's crazy. I, and have you ever thought about getting training? Do you take classes now, like acting or even dancing? I'm a, this is a, such a lazy response and the answer is no. Um, when I'm, and I'm sad to say that. I go to the gym regularly and I, I try to keep fairly fit. But because um, I'm a rubber guy, I've got to keep that going as long as I can. But um, no, because I'm usually doing something with a, hopefully a good choreographer. And like Anastasia keeps me in shape. All the running around I do and taking this leg and putting it up here and taking Vicki Lewis and throwing her around and, and jumping off of things, you know. Um, uh, so the show keeps me in shape, that and the gym. Mm -hmm. But I'm... Sorry to say I don't take class, and I feel badly about that because I feel like there's always something you can learn. You know, no, you should never be so cocky. And I don't think, oh, I know it all. I don't think I don't. I know it all. There is always so much more to learn. And I, you, know, you try to learn something every day. 
Right. And well, you brought up Anastasia. That's that's my next segue here. Uh, yeah. So you've been doing that uh, since the out of town tryout in Hartford. Yeah, Hartford in I guess 2016. We did the spring there, and uh, we knew we were going to come in. And there was a six month break where you know it's a very lucky thing. Every actor wants to know they've got a sweet gig coming up, and then you can just sort of fill in with a CLO contract here, a Muni contract there, you know. But um, that's always the gift is to know you've got something good. Uh, line, lined up, um, and I knew it would run for a, a bit, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be playing this role, and I'm so thrilled, again, that they didn't go, let's get TV guy from the 90s who can sell tickets. You know, um, Caroline O'Connor and I, who created the the roles of Lily and Vlad, we're, uh, we're really proud of what we did, and we, um, <laughs> a director wants to tell me, when you're creating a show, pee all over that role. Pee all <laughs> over it so that no one else can do it. Do everything you can to claim it. When you're doing a reading of something, when you're doing, you know, those early stage things, claim it. I did it with Christmas Story. You know, good, good luck finding a guy that can, you know, do everything with this. I mean, of course, there's always someone that can do it, but it makes the search a little bit harder. Yeah. And, it, and it makes them think, well, this is our only guy because he can do this and he can do this and this is what works about the show. So you try to pee all over it so that you can, they'll keep you. Did you did, Had you seen the animated movie, I guess, before you, I had you not. auditioned or anything? Oh, yeah. I watched it uh, maybe two days before my audition. Um, I was I had aware, was aware that it existed, certainly, and my um, parents, the hilarious banker <laughs> and the bridge player, uh, championship bridge player, uh, they... Um, they always, they loved history, and I grew up in a house with lots of books of history. And of course, I had Nicholas and Alexandra, um, Anastasia's parents. Their big book, and there's all these pictures in the middle, which I'm drawn to as a kid. Oh my God, there's kids in this story. You know, they all get murdered, but there's a there are kids in this story, and it made it always sort of fascinating to me that maybe one of them escaped. It was always this, particularly the youngest one, who you know, 16 at the time, the youngest girl anyway. Mm -hmm. um, the, maybe she escaped this mythic thing that we just hope that this terrible tragedy maybe wasn't so terrible and that one got out. And the show, like you said, there's a, there's murder, there's murder of children, which is not a funny topic. Um, how, when, when you were, when you read the script, I guess, was the script itself as like the character of Vlad was, was, was that as like kind of, I want to say slapsticky, like rubber man, you call yourself rubber man. Oh gosh. Like, how much? How much did you bring to this? How much did you pee all over this role? And how how dry was the page before you got it? Oh my gosh, we're just going to keep talking about that <laughs> metaphor. I, I'm sorry, everyone, that I brought that up, but it's a, it's the way it's a way of thinking. Um, oh, sorry, thank you. Um, I was worried the cord was going to pull that over. No, I'll just Technically put this mic stand over here for there you. There you go. I know, I fidget. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, well. It was like Christmas Story where I thought, oh, God, really? Because I knew what the role was because I just watched the film. And then I just started reading the material they sent. And I, I suddenly thought, I, oh, my God, I think I can do this. I think this is totally and surprisingly to myself in my wheelhouse. And so I just, you know, worked on the material for two days. And, you know, you cancel all your plans. You They give you the stuff. You learn the stuff. Learn those two songs they sent you. Cancel your plans. Go in, do your best. You're probably not going to get it, but once in a while, it's your turn. And uh, I went in. I went last, and they had seen A Christmas Story. The writers had seen A Christmas Story and apparently had said, we knew it was going to be you. Um, and I went in last, and I, as I was walking home from the audition, uh, I got a phone call from my agent saying, you're going to be getting an offer. 
And I was glad I rent, I got the film on Netflix just to see what it was, get the flavor of Kelsey Grammer's terrific vocal performance in my head. And again, nothing I wanted to slavishly copy. Like Christmas Story, there's this beloved performance. I thought, just get the flavor, hit the hit the things that you got to hit, or the or the, the big fans are going to be mad if you don't if you don't sort of hit a couple things a certain way. And the rest of it, stop watching it. Don't do this slavish version of it just make it your own and go were you ever told to to bring it down bring it back oh all I, the time I, I had a director that was like go too big because i can i can tell you to bring it back yeah. but it's harder to tell you to go bigger there's a lot you know too big can be off-putting at an audition so you really have to be careful with that but um and then in rehearsal i like to just throw everything out there uh, i like to create a buffet from which the director can choose <laughs> a large salad bar yeah, you know, do that, don't do that. Because otherwise, how do you find this stuff? And Caroline and I just had a blast creating this whole thing, this whole this whole thing that Countess and the Common Man. There's this big dance as these two middle-aged lovers re reunited after a couple decades. And they sort of slowly discover through dance that they're still extremely passionate and, you know, very attracted to each other. And they still got it. And then we realize, oh, wow, this is... They, they're not as in, in as good shape as possible. So we just sort of, in rehearsals, kept playing with how tired do we get from this? And maybe that's the that's the joke. Um, and then it is. And now it's literally this two-minute middle of the number where we play how exhausting, how exhausted it was. And that came from him just letting us play. Do you get, do you actually, like you, John, get exhausted at the end of every show? Because you are all over the place. <laughs> I get exhausted at the end of uh, the Perry holds the key number because I run around a lot. But no, I've, you know, I'm usually ready for an old-fashioned or two after the show. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm exhausted. My he, feet hurt, but that might just be being, you know, my age. So Yeah, a spry young 36. Yeah, that, yeah exactly. Yeah, well, yeah. 37 now. Yeah, so, right. Um, yeah, the clothes, the clothes. The show is unfortunately closing March 31st. Yep, but yeah. we had a great run. Oh, great yeah, run. it was in, over two years, right? Yeah. It'll be two yeah. years, including yeah. previews, it'll be two years. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that last six months, I wasn't going to stay, and they, they sort of made me an offer I couldn't refuse in terms of, well, you can leave to do this and... Again, what little TV I do. I, they were like, go, fine, go do it. And uh, and I'm having such a good time and I love the company. And I'm a little, I wouldn't say protective of the role because I'm happy to, you know, to know my good friend Ed Staudenmeyer is playing it on on tour. And I've made friends with Javier Navares, who's playing it in Madrid. And, uh, of course, the wonderful covers in New York um, who do such a great job. Uh, you know, I'm, I, it's in good hands with those guys. But I'm thrilled to to get to ride the whole the whole train there from beginning to end. I didn't know it was in Madrid. Did they translate it to Spanish? I hope so. <laughs> yes, they did. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess yeah, tours do go international and they don't change it. And I don't I don't know if that like if that's a normal thing. It's currently in Stuttgart, Germany, uh, Madrid, and uh, on tour nationally. And there's going to be a West End in Australia. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so to translate it to Aussie. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> ha, ha, ha. So you mentioned TV. Uh, you've got some recurring guest spots, uh, most notably, most likely on Gossip Girl, All My Children, Madam Secretary. You've even been on uh, the Kimmy Schmidt show. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you said that uh, the shows let you out, let, let you out the door, you know, um, for a little bit to do TV. How often do you get to do this? Well, it's, it's hit and miss. It's usually when I wind up in the script. Um, you know, Madam Secretary, they don't always need the Attorney General of the United States uh, to be in every episode. But I've done seven so far, just in the past couple seasons. And they say I'll be back. So 
uh, we, we will see. But it's a whole different world, as you know. And, you know, when I was first trying to do television 15, 20 years ago, there was a real snobbery against musical theater actors. Like, um, nah, we, don't, we, need, we need real actors, which was just like, screw you, buddy. But, you know, I'm not going to come in and go, ha on your, you know, police <laughs> drama. But, Give uh, the fossy hands in the <laughs> middle of, of, of uh, NCIS. Yeah. But I think the more you do, like with theater, work begets work. And the more they figure out, well, he actually can speak like this and say, you know, my first TV gig was the inevitable law and order where I got to say, yeah, I remember nice enough girl kept to herself, uh, had a boyfriend, came around once in a while, drove a Harley, looked like he roughed her up once in a while. Now, if you excuse me, I've got work to do. <laughs> I'm impressed you still remember the, line. That was the whole scene. How long well, ago because, was that? Because here's why. That guy appears in about every episode of Law and Order. <laughs> there is a version of that character in every single one. And I love that he's always like, now, if you'll excuse me, I've got work to do. Yeah, yeah I've got to get back to pushing it. my boxes yes. to these cops, these detectives. But, you know, the more you do, the more they let you do. And, um, you know, I went in to do one episode of Gossip Girl, and they were like, yeah, he doesn't suck. Let's bring him back, and he'll be a recurring character. And I started out as sort of mild-mannered accountant guy, and then I got a little evil, and then I got more evil, and then I got murdered. And then they talked about me long after I was murdered because there was a whole trial for my murder. So I felt <laughs> like I was in even more episodes because they talked about me. I, I have a, a logistical question for you for sure. TV movies. When, like, if your character, you get murdered, and then you are... Uh, like the next episode is a funeral scene and it shows your face on a picture over the casket. Do you get paid for that? They have to pay you, yes. And I mean, it's not, a, not much. It's like a $250 usage fee, it's called. But they, uh, uh, image use. But, um, and sometimes they, you, they'll use flashback stuff where you, you get a portion of your original rate for, for shooting that. I don't know exactly how it works, but um, I do know residuals are a lovely thing. Yes, yeah. yes. What do you enjoy most about a TV, I guess, versus theater. I love doing TV because that is something I never thought I'd do. I knew I always wanted to be on stage, and I knew I would just want to be doing one Broadway show, and then I'll go back to journalizing, being a journalist, or, or um, you know, going into banking, oddly enough, was an option at one point. Um, but uh, You would be the funniest banker there was. <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm sure there are very, very, a lot of funny bankers. But <laughs> Buy um, low, sell high! <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, Wait, what was the question? What were we talking about? What do you like about TV? Oh, what do I like about TV? Yeah. That it's a whole different thing. Um, it is a completely different way of of acting because, you know, it's quite, particularly now, I always sort of make fun of how everything's whispered and then there's a sound effect that's deafening and you have to leap for the remote and turn down the sound. But uh, you just exercise different, different um, muscles, certainly. And the more you do, like, I think I've gotten a little better at it. I watch some of the early stuff I do and I literally cringe. I'm um, just like, oh, Bolton, what are you doing? But once in a while, there's there, there's things, usually because a director was particularly good. I loved our director on uh, Boardwalk Empire, this guy, Tim Van Patten, and the episode won an Emmy. He was nominated for it, but the cinematography of that episode wound up winning an Emmy. But I got the crap beat out of me on that episode and did my own stunts. Again, something I never thought I could do, but you just dive in and they made me extremely comfortable. And um, it wound up being something that I'm really, really proud of and watch and don't cringe. <laughs> Is there a role uh, on TV right now that that if you were given the opportunity, you could just be like, I want that one, give it to me. Something you haven't done or a style of a character? Sure. Um, you know, I'm a funny guy on Broadway usually. Um, but 
you know, I've, I've done a, a couple episodes of Kimmy Schmidt, but other than that, I've done no comedies. It's been all like drama, and I'm like the guy that comes in on Madam Secretary with all the information that's got long legal things that they've got to hash out. Um, and uh, it's all very serious. And I'm, I've never, um, aside from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock trusting me with a little little crabby bus driver guy that has a couple episodes, but... Um, but uh, yeah, I'd love to do something funny. I'd love to be, you know, cranky next door neighbor or funny next door neighbor or funny uncle or gunkle or something. <laughs> Just a, you know, a, a, a nice a nice role on the show that maybe doesn't need to carry the show but shows up once in a while and we go, ah, he's back. We like him. Like the Kramer of a sitcom. You just oh, pop, sure. pop in, yeah. Even that's a lot of responsibility, but um, that's sure. And something funny, you know, just something that lets me that lets me be funny. Well, do you have a pitch for everybody listening? What what would you want yeah. somebody to write for you? Oh gosh, have you thought about this? Do you think about like, oh, if I this needs to be a TV show? Um, well, I do a lot of characters myself that I think would make lovely skits on Saturday Night Live, but no one's going to trust a fifty three year old guy as, as a newcomer on Saturday Night Live. So I feel like that ship sailed before I, I was Leslie ready Jones for it. Leslie Jones is forty five before she got on. Okay, okay. Well, maybe I'll take Leslie Jones to lunch and see what happens. There you go. Uh, no, I don't know. That's a that's a big pipe dream, but. Um, no, no, no. I just if they, yeah. I hope someday someone lets me be funny. And gotta tell you, Alan, my most, the, my biggest dream. And people listening to this may go seriously. We've listened to you for how long now, and that's what you want? <laughs> I would love to host a talk show, just a little <laughs> online thing where I get to talk to my famous friends and fanboy, fangirl out. Where we get to do this, and maybe it's on camera, and we get a few audiences. We would let people know in advance questions that we got for this person, that person. I'm not your competition, I promise. Oh I'm, no, compete. But no, this I, is that's actually something I would love to do because I love talking to people about it, and I want to get inside the head of like my good friend Orson Bean. He's a 91 year old genius of a comedian. You can't be with him and not laugh until your gut hurts and you're just crying tears of joy from just hearing his stories. I just want to sit down with him and let the world see what it is he can do and what what we've got and bring it out through our fun conversations. Well, word, like on, word on the street is that the podcasting format is very popular. These oh, days. is it? Yes. That's well, because you do such a good job. At oh, well, thank you. Um, so we've been talking for a long time about lots of successes and lots of happy, happy times. Have you, have you, do you deal with any, any, like the, the opposite side of the coin, like personal struggles or like when you haven't worked for a little while, do you like start to question it's scary. yourself? Um, face saving is my, my biggest thing. What I've learned to be able, that is okay to say, you know, and, and fortunately I have a lot of friends in my life who are very supportive and they, they have tend to assume that I'm doing something. So they go, what are you working on now? Um, and I've learned that it's okay to say I'm taking a break or I'm enjoying a break. As opposed to, well, I'm doing a reading or I've got some irons in the fire and, you know, trying to save face while you're walking your dog and you run into some acquaintance and you feel like I, I'm only as good as my current job. So I must be on Broadway or I'm a big loser now. You know, it, that I've thrown away. And, um, and uh, after fighting with it for a long time, it's okay to say, well, what are you doing? Nothing. You know, um, on Facebook, when I did a little little post about our eight weeks left of Anastasia and what a pleasure it's been. And cause I do know I've got a lot of people from my hometown that still want to see it. So I post for them and here, here's your chance. And right away I get a message saying, what's next? I'm like, God, let the paint dry on this one. I don't I can know what's next. Just, you know, I don't know. I'm sorry to disappoint you and feeling like you're disappointing them with an answer that isn't, I'm in a new big fancy thing because that's what you want to hear. 
So learning to deal with that and learning it's okay to say, I'm not doing anything right now. It's a perfectly legitimate answer. So I, I think I can humbly remind you or maybe make you aware of something that being on the other side of, of things, where you are now for so long, that maybe if you're asked what's next, it's because people love you so much that they're so sad Anastasia is closing. Yeah, so my partner t- tried <laughs> to sped that to me as well and said, she just, she meant well and she's a good person and all that. So, you know. Because I was like, can you believe it? Yeah. No. What's next? Anyway. She, she, yeah, she's so yeah. sad that she won't get to see you. So she wants to see the next That's thing. That's exactly it. Um, well, you mentioned yeah. Facebook, actually. You've been in the the in the business for, for a couple decades now. Yeah, yeah. safe to say. Um, you mentioned Facebook, and now there's a rise of social media. I always I always really enjoy uh, people who have been doing this for for many many years. Um, how have you seen the industry change? What's what's new today versus you know in the early '90s, late '80s? Um, okay. Besides the internet, well, or, the the, yeah. the social media situation, and, and in terms of auditions, now they just look for, for particularly for TV stuff. They just go send us send us a video or send us a, a YouTube link or a reel of some sort that shows him on camera uh so that's changed and head hard hard copy headshots barely exist anymore it's all just online through actors access or casting networks everything's online and you know hopefully your agents or managers take care of most of that for you um but in terms of social media i feel like there is an a lot of people do it very well very well and a lot of people don't and the ones that do it don't appear desperate and it and um and I think that is that is sad, uh, and I think people see that, notice that, and um, and there are a lot of extremely successful people who don't do any social media and are just as successful as you are trying to get your followers. Now, fortunately, I've been in Anastasia, and I think Gossip Girl also helped when it was you know still on um, with the follower situation with me. Of course, Anastasia did. My God, I've got I probably have I think I've whatever eighteen something thousand. And, uh, you know, it's, there's people that's like, that's all. And there's people that are like, oh my God, I'm one of the people that's like, I never thought I'd have more than 2000 people. Like <laughs> who would want to care what I'm doing when I'm walking my dog. And I really enjoy the Instagram because it's visual and, um, I enjoy the fans, you know, sort of asking about my dogs or my, uh, it's never been too creepy. So do you, do you engage with comments? It. I will click like once in a while, or if I feel it's safe, I will I will engage. I've regretted that on occasion, and really? then there's the famous block situation that that happens. Um, there, but you know, I really do admire those that make it a full time job, and it is a full time job. The social media, Christy Altamar does Altamar does it. She's a genius mm-hmm. at it because she means it. She is a good human being who genuinely cares about her fans, who is willing to spend time with them to sacrifice her personal downtime to recover from eight shows a week of this huge role where she does carry the show to, to interact with her fans. And it, I have never, ever seen it be in an insincere fashion. Um, but she also has a security team, you know, kind of looking out for her because a lot of fans take that as we're good friends now. And it's like, well, actually she's just being very generous now. So careful with that. But, um, She's a genius at it. I really, really admire her. That's that's crazy. Leslie Margarita is a genius at social media. She's hilarious. Um, 
I have a lot of good friends who are great at it. And I learned from them. Here's the, here's what works, Bolton. Here's what doesn't work from that. So you sort of learn what works and what doesn't work. You seem very, in general, a very observant guy. I try. You're, you're always watching. But I'm also me. And I do try to honor that. I do try to sort of see what works for other people and then try to take that and apply it to the John Boltonness about me. Conceptually. And I try to make that work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you apply the concepts, not the not the literal, yes. the little crummy. Yeah. Um, so we are very close to time here because you have a show to go do. Oh, my gosh. I get to be yeah. on Broadway. It never gets old, man. I walk through that stage door. I'm like, I get to be on Broadway tonight. Really? So Every lucky. night? Uh, well, when I remember, but it's, I, I remember it frequently. That I am. I it, it never ever gets old. How lucky I have been. Um, do you, do, do you do you do the stage door thing afterwards too? You know, I did it for a year, and I I love everyone that that waits out in the cold and everything. Um, but I uh, I sort of stopped. I do it. I'd say a couple times a month. Uh, and I enjoy it, and I will do it our whole last week. I'm sure I'll do it just because it's all the fans are coming back, mm -hmm. and I. They'll be very, very happy to see them. They're so generous. They've given us, they give us all this stuff. And sometimes it's extremely thoughtful and can often bring a tear to your eye. And uh, we're a part of that. And I'm thrilled to get to do that. Because believe me, I was a fanboy. I waited outside the stage door at nine to say hello to some of those people when I was in high school. Um, and outside the stage door, Dream Girls and Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. I chased one of the actresses playing one of the orphans in Annie down the street to get her autograph in 1978. So, oh, wow. There's that. Okay. So um, we have three three questions here, standard okay. questions that we ask everybody on the podcast. Okay. The first one here simply is, what motivates you? The joy I get from, from working in this business. I, it's what I always wanted to do. I get to do it. We get to change people's lives, hopefully, if the show is good. And when if you're lucky enough to be in a show you love, working with people you love, there's just nothing better. And that motivates me. The joy for the business loves motivates me. And what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Be you. Be yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. Do your best always. And as long as you do your best, you might not get that job. But if you do your best, they'll call you in for the next one. And they'll call you in for the next one. And once and then once in a while, one of those times doing your best, it'll be your turn to get the part. Yep. And last question, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what show would you see? Does it need to be something I've never seen or can it, or it be something? Anything. Well, I am obsessed. I think Guys and Dolls is about the most perfect musical ever written. And I think it would be really thrilling to see that original production in the 50s and just uh, see where it all started. So I, I would imagine that. And I would never, ever get tired of that, that wonderful score. Wonderful. And so now, uh, thank you for coming. We can find you on uh, Twitter and Instagram at It's John Bolton. And uh, that's it. Yeah. Oh, Facebook. You mentioned Facebook too, right? What's your Facebook account? Um, I don't know. I think it's just John Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> but I only, I do sort of save that for, um, you know, uh, the people I like, people I went to high school with and uh, friends from my hometown. But um, yeah, Instagram and Twitter, Blue Dot. I'm, I'm, I'm John Bolton. And, uh, uh, I love it. I'll click like if I like it enough. <laughs> <laughs> so you can get more of If me. you make me laugh, I will always click like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, everybody, send send John uh, your best dad jokes. because Please do, because <laughs> I am your dad. You don't know it yet, but I am your dad. <laughs> you can get more of me, theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, facebook.com slash official theater podcast. Wherever you're listening now, please rate, share, follow, give an honest review. I would love reading those. You can send me an email via feedback at thetheaterpodcast.com. This is produced by Jillian Hockman. The music you're hearing right now is by Jukebox the Ghost. 
John Bolton, thank you so much thank for, you. for chatting with me. This has been incredible. It's an honor. Thank you. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.